Please take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 23 this morning. Matthew 23, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their flactories broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Father, we pray that you will do your work according to your will, all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So now Jesus turns his attention to the crowd that's around him, and I'm sure there are still some Pharisees nearby, as we will see in what we will look at next time, Lord willing. Um, But he's kind of passively addressing the Pharisees, but he's talking directly to uh, the, the crowd, and particularly his disciples, and he will address the Pharisees more directly next time in the next passage as we look at seven woes that he declares to them. But Jesus here in our passage this morning, he, he attacks the problem which is at the core of all of our problems, and that is pride. Pride says, I know better. I know better than you. I know better than anyone else. And sin has so messed us up that oftentimes man will say that he knows better than God. Pride says, I am in control. I will determine my destiny. I will determine the outcome of my life. I will determine when and where I will live. But the Bible declares, rather we should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Pride says, I will say what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. This is the, I believe, at the root of all sin is this issue of pride. Recently, I've gone through the book of Proverbs and studying uh, that book. Remember that Proverbs is a book of principles, not necessarily promises, and if you keep that in, in mind, you would do, do well. But there are many proverbs listed there that deal with this subject of pride. And we will look at some of them this morning. But for an example, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 25, we find in that proverb that the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Now, I can tell you, you don't want to be a person in opposition against God. 
And, and Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12, we read written there, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Why is that? That's because the proud man is deceiving himself, thinking of himself more than he ought to. And then we find in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 27, It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. The proud man wants recognition. The proud man wants to be admired. The proud man wants to be exalted. And we'll come back to that more in a little bit, dealing with the Pharisees and what Jesus taught here. We are warned in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What place does pride have in the life of a Christian? Who are we really, or what are we really, Apart from Jesus Christ. We're nothing. Matter of fact, Jesus describes a place where those who die apart from him will go. We term it today hell. But when Jesus taught on hell, he was talking about what is called Gehenna in the Greek. If you do any studying about Gehenna... This was the trash heap outside of Jerusalem where not only all the trash and refuse, which was burned by fire that never went out, because there was always more trash, but this would be where all the homeless, when they died, would have their bodies discarded. The criminals would have their bodies discarded. The dogs that died in the street would have their bodies discarded. And Jesus basically says that if you die apart from him, you will go to Gehenna. You're nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier, as we were studying in Matthew, we read in chapter 16, verse 24, where Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be somebody, for lack of a better word, in order to be somebody, you got to become a nobody. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Jesus stated it this way in verse 11 of 23 in the passage that we just looked at. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And so we're commanded in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt. You And so Jesus in our text teaches the crowd about humility as opposed to the pride of the Pharisees who are called hypocrites. They are presented as being those whom everyone should emulate and Jesus is basically saying, don't be like them. <laughs> Appearing to be one thing while in reality something else. 
So what does Jesus teach in our passage that we're looking at this morning concerning humility? It is this, first of all, that the humble are teachable. The humble are teachable. And so we read in Matthew 23, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. In other words, they sat in this particular seat of teaching, instructing on the writings of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, if, the, if you will. They sat as a teacher of the law of God. They held the chair, if you will, of Moses. A lot of terminology we use today comes from the Bible. For in our esteemed universities today, people hold different chairs. They hold the seat of. In seminaries, there's the seat of theology or the, the chair of theology, the chair of evangelism or the chair of church growth. And sometimes they're named after particular people. And we see this in state university as well. Some hold in particular chairs of psychology or, or uh, 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 marine biology or the chair of something else or whatever as being a teacher who has something to say and regards as an expert who has studied you need to hear what they have to say when they sit in this chair and they hold this chair because they are respected in that area of education and so these pharisees they sit on moses's seat but then jesus says so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Well, wait a minute. I thought they laid up burdens on the people. Should they really be doing what they taught? Yes, as long as they taught in accordance with the teachings of Moses, which I would say according to the teachings of God's word. <laughs> Listen, do as they direct you, for they are experts in the teachings. And as they hold the seat and speak in terms of what Moses taught, you do what they say. But again, they, you know, sayings from the scriptures, right? They didn't practice what they preached. It says it here, for they preached but do not practice. They didn't practice what they preached. Jesus says, don't be hypocritical. You observe, you do whatever they tell you in as much as it is in line with the chair of Moses. So, so what was Jesus saying here? He says, Listen to their teaching. Listen to what they're saying. Give it its due diligence. For as they teach the word of God, may their correct teaching change your heart as it is to be changed by the word of God and then act on it. Don't do like them and, and say one thing but do another. Be teachable and act on it. But here's the thing. For a person to be teachable, he cannot be a pride man or a pride woman, prideful woman or a prideful man. In order to be teachable, you need to realize you do not know it all. This is a, this is a total attack against your pride, especially when the person doing the teaching you think is beneath you. So let's see, I'm 51, I'll be 52, so 15 years from that, that means I was 36 and turned 37 when I came here. When I came here, I heard things like, 
I have grandchildren your age. And I get it. What was this man going to teach to people who had already been there and done that for many years? As time went on and as things changed, now we hear more often, I have children your age. But soon it will be, we're the same age. Some of you won't be here to say that. But the humble are to be teachable. One of the men that I respect for some of his teachings, he would, then, he would definitely be opposed to some of my theology and was so very strongly. But one of the reasons I organize the sermon, my sermons the way I do and use alliteration the way I do is because of this particular man that I have learned to respect over the years, though I may disagree with him at some finer points of theology. And that was Adrian Rogers. Listened to him, heard him, thankful for him, for some of the accomplishments he had. And if we had an opportunity to debate, I would debate him fiercely, but with respect. Because I do think, on many cases, as he spoke with what was in line with Scripture, he'd be worth listening to. And I should never look at somebody that I disagree with as being beneath me, and as somebody I should not necessarily learn from. As long as they were teaching and according to the seed of Moses, as we see here, according to the Word of God. But in order to be teachable, there needs to be a desire to learn. What I stated earlier, those aren't just words. Those, that is truth. That if God brought me here just to know Him, I am okay with that. And you need to understand, when I say that, I'm not saying I am settling for that. More than anything in this world, I want to know God. And not just about Him. I want to know Him. As we looked at the word know previously, that it is a relational knowledge. That the word is always used in terms of a a, a relationship. And there has to be that desire for there to be that relationship and to grow in that relationship. In order to be teachable, there needs to be a willingness to submit. You must be willing to put yourself under. That's what the word submit means, to put yourself under. Now, I will say you need to be careful who you put yourself under. You need to filter through the word of God what is being taught. And as much as it aligned with the teaching of Moses, they were to listen. As much as it aligns with the Word of God, you're to listen. But if I get up here and speak foolishness, you better filter that through the Word of God and say, okay, I, I, I will do as long as you sit in the proper seat teaching properly, but when it's contrary to Scripture, we got a problem. You need to filter it. You need to be careful. You need to discern the spirit of truth from the spirit of error. But in order to learn truth from error, guess what? You have to be teachable and be learning. The Pharisees were not teachable. They were the learned men. 
They were the educated men. They were the ones who felt they were there to teach, not to be taught. And when Jesus came along the way teaching, all of a sudden they had a problem. And there was friction. And there was conflict. Because here was this uneducated carpenter that was going to teach us the ways of God. Ha! Who does he think he is? And in their pride, they went down the path that leads to destruction. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9, we read, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, we read, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Raising our children, that was a word that we taught them that they should not say. You should never use the word stupid. But here the Bible, in the ESV translation says, if you don't like to be corrected, you're just stupid. See, because if you fill with pride, you don't want to be corrected. You're a know-it-all. You got it all figured out. And there's no way you could be wrong. Even as I stand before you today, I do so acknowledging the fact I could be wrong, and I better be examining to see if in any way I am wrong. And if proven to be wrong, be willing to change. Need to change. And line up with the Word of God. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores the instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. And so we see the truly honored ones are those who are humbled, those who are teachable. But secondly, we see that the humble are considerate. The humble are considerate. So in addressing the Pharisees, notice what he says of them in verse 4. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Again, Another saying that that comes from Scripture. He won't even lift a finger to help. Right from the Word of God. So next time you hear somebody say that who's not a Christian, say, hey, I didn't know you read the Bible. You know about going the extra mile and all these other sayings. The handwriting's on the wall. Really? You read the Bible? They'll look at you cross all like, what are you talking about? What a great opportunity to share the gospel when that happens. But anyway... What what is Jesus talking about here? What was going on? He was painting an image. He was demonstrating something to the people. He was painting a picture for them to understand. And this day, there wasn't UPS. There wasn't USPS. uh, There wasn't other ways of of delivering goods. There wasn't tractor trailers. There weren't trains. And so they had what was called beasts of burden. They would have donkeys. They would have camels that they would load down with Things they needed carried from one place to a, another. And a person who was concerned about getting his product or his belongings from one place to another made sure, first of all, that you would balance out, distribute the weight so that the animal would not be overburdened on one side, but also would be careful not to overburden the animal so he could make the journey. So the animal could make the journey. You ever heard of the straw that broke the camel's back? You wanted to have enough to get as much as your belongings that you could, but you didn't want to do the beast wrong so that it would die along the way. What good would that be to you? Because now you got to carry it. <laughs> right? 
And, and so Jesus is painting these pictures. The, these Pharisees, they didn't give a rip about the people. We don't care how it weighs you down. We don't care if it throws you off balance. Here's what you got to do. And worse yet, they told the people what to do, but A, they wouldn't lift a finger to help, but B, they wouldn't even lift a finger to do it themselves. They wanted to be held in high regard. They were selfish people. And publicly, they, they looked the part, but they themselves didn't even follow the burdens they placed on others. They could care less about what was going on in these people's lives as long as they were recognized in public as Christians, as the church. We should seek the deliverance of people from their bondage. So many people are under bondage today. The bondage of sin, absolutely. And it comes in so many shapes and fashions and forms. People are burdened with so much stuff. And as the church... We know that we're not to have no burden. But we know the burden to carry that will get us from, to our destination. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, after he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Maybe now that has a new meaning as you picture the burden of beasts carrying weight that is too heavy to make the journey. He says, learn of me. Then he says in verse 30 of Matthew 11, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the burden I want. That's the burden I want to carry. But not only that, that's the burden I want you to carry. That's the burden I want those who don't know Jesus Christ to carry. Because every other burden will kill them and they will not make it to the destination. Humble people are considerate. Prideful people could care less about others. Right now I'm thinking about our election and everything else this year. I mean, is that not a perfect picture of people not caring about each other? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't do anything from pride. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. doesn't mean neglect yourself. Do not... Do not let each of you look to his, let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What is in their best interests? What is my neighbor's best interest? What is my community's best interest? Pride doesn't leave room for this. Pride says, I don't care about them. I'm just worried about me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24, we are commanded, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. That brings up a very familiar question that was asked of Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Remember that? 
In Luke chapter 10, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. We have this one who was beat up. And the religious people came by and walked by and walked by and walked by. And then it was that hated one by the Jews, the Samaritan, who stops and helps him out. Gets him a place to stay for the night. And then tells the innkeeper, however long he needs to stay, let him stay. When I come back, I'll pay the bill. Looked after him. Met the need. And then in Luke chapter 10, verses 36 and through 37, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the lawyer, said, The one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. See, the question isn't, Who is my neighbor? The issue is this. I am to be a neighbor. What did Jesus ask him? Who proved to be a neighbor to the man? Now you go and do likewise. Be a neighbor to whomever you come across. Now I would say especially the household of faith. We see that in Scripture. Do good to all, but especially the household of faith. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we read, Bear one another's burdens. I hope you get the picture now with the donkey and the camel carrying this huge load of stuff. And now you find somebody who has burdens that are really heavy. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help to carry the load. Many are going through stuff. Time would escape us if we took the time to give everybody the microphone to talk about what's going on in their life. The sad part is every one of us think we're the only ones going through it. And because of pride and selfishness, we don't care what everybody else is going through because I'm going through stuff. But yet to fulfill the word of God, it says to bear one another's burdens. That together we can carry each other's loads a whole lot better than we can on our own. Now I will say to the burden, part of the problem is you won't make your need known. So that's on you and your pride. Don't complain about the church helping if you never let anybody know that you needed help. And then when the church offers to help, accept the help. Accept the help from others, but the humble are considerate. Number three, we see that the humble are self-denying. The humble are self-denying. Now that is more easily stated than it is lived out. Easier said than done. To be self-denying, to deny myself, to put others first, to give preference to others, to deny what I desire, what I want, what I long for, to meet others' needs, to bear other burdens. We see in a few ways that the Pharisees were, were anything but self-denying. They, they wanted recognition. They wanted to be honored. They wanted the praise of men. Going back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts off that section of the Sermon on the Mount this way. Matthew chapter 6 verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he gives them three ways to not be like the Pharisees who want to be seen by men. He talks about giving to the needy in order to be seen. Then he talks about praying in order to be seen. And then he talks about fasting in order to be seen. And we see in our text, again, we have the same situation. They love to be seen. 
verse 5 of Matthew 23. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Everything they do. And given to the poor. And praying. And in fasting. Now some would argue, well, you're not supposed to do those things in in public because it says to do it privately. That's not what Jesus was saying because Jesus prayed publicly. Others heard him. Others saw him. So to say to do something publicly like that would be sinful, well, then we'd have to say Jesus sinned. Now you're in a bad place. Jesus never sinned. Jesus not. They did so publicly in order to be seen by men. Now you rather pray in your closet, not an actual physical closet, not to be seen by anybody, but your only concern is your time with the Lord. What's, what you're praying about is between you and, and Him. Don't worry about whether you get recognized or not. Don't worry if anybody praises your name or not. For your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. They went to great lengths to be seen. It it mentions phylacteries here. What were phylacteries? Well, taken literally from from what Moses delivered to the people to let it be frontless between your eyes and to be on your arms, where it would actually be right here. They they would take parchment and they they would write, uh, particularly the Shema. I think there was four different things they would write on this piece of paper. And and rather than having a little armband here, man, they made sure it went from their shoulder to their elbow. I mean, people got to see. We're following God. We're godly people. I mean, look. Look at my phylacteries here. I mean, they probably even flex to make sure you got to see. You see that? Yeah, you see that? Yeah. And not only that, they put it right here. And I understand they put it in four different places on their head, but between their eyes. And they totally missed what God was saying when he said, let it be between your eyes and on your arm. Let his word be near your mind and near your heart. They missed it. Again, they took physical what was spiritual. They made physical realities out of spiritual. And they did so because they were so prideful in order to be seen by men and to be considered holy. And these fringes that they were commanded to have on the borders of their outer garments. Uh, think in terms of a leather jacket with all those little, you know, some of you who ride motorcycles, you know what I'm talking about. Those long leather tassels and everything else. And, and when you're going down, what's that? Yeah, that. Uh, when you're going down the road and they're just flying in the wind. I mean, I remember going behind somebody riding a motorcycle one time. They had them on their handlebars, and it was longer than a motorcycle. It was about hitting my, hitting my vehicle behind them. I mean, it was so long. I was like, yeah, everybody knows you're coming down the highway. You can see you a long ways. But this is how they rode their robes, where they were much thicker than everybody else. These, these extra, you know, the, the blue border and everything else, because this was a reminder to keep the commandments of God. And so they, they made theirs extra wide to tell everybody, we really, we, we're really serious about the keeping the commandments of God. All of this was done in order to be seen, and their case particularly as being extra holy. And what a sad commentary when Jesus said, you, with your lips you're, you honor me, but your hearts are far from me. The humble are not concerned with recognition, This takes me back to the last church that I pastored when I first became their pastor. And they remodeled the parsonage for us. 
And I got up before the church, and I thanked by name several people who contributed to the remodeling of the parsonage. And I knew I was forgetting somebody, and I even said, and for those that I, I can't recall right now who also helped, trust, thank you. We thank all of you. That Monday morning, the man who built our cabinets drove up in the parking lot. I happened to be in the parking lot when he drove up. He threw his keys at me with the church keys because he was so mad that I failed to mention him by name. Now, being ignorant at that time, I was trying to do all I can to keep, me, keep him, not realizing that that was a blessing and he needed to go. I had problems with him later on during my tenure there. And then he had the nerve to tell me, I didn't do it for the recognition. <laughs> then why are you mad and you're leaving the church? See, the humble are good with God knowing. That's all they want. They care about what God thinks more than what man thinks. The Pharisees, they wanted places of honor. In verses 6 and 7, they loved the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. They wanted places of honor where, where they sat at feasts. We looked at this before, right? Don't go sitting at the right hand of the, the guest, the, 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 the host. Why? Because he may come in and, says, and say to you, hey, 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 no, 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 this seat is for somebody else. You go to the end of the, and embarrass you. You don't belong here. You're not that important. Go to the end of the table. No, rather sit at the end of the table and be brought up front. But these Pharisees, they were too dumb to realize that. Too much filled with pride. No, they wanted the best seats. They wanted to be recognized. And not only at the feast at people's homes, but even in the synagogue. This is how I know they weren't Baptists. They weren't worried about the back seat, the back pew. They weren't back row Baptists, man. They wanted up front and center seats where everybody would see them. They wanted places of honor. Even how they were greeted in public. The most right, reverend, doctor, whatever. Tack on all the titles, whatever. Rabbi. <laughs> How they were addressed, they were concerned with that. How people recognized them, they were concerned with that. One of the questions I get asked sometimes, I'm not sure how I necessarily want to answer it, is what, what do you want to be called? Well, my name's Eric. No, 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 like pastor, preacher, brother. You, some people call me preacher. Some people call me pastor. Some people just call me Eric. I don't, I don't sense any disrespect in that. You know, I prefer you to call me by my name, but if you want to call me by one of those titles, fine. I don't, I don't do this for the title. They did what they did for the title. They loved it because it fed their ego. It fed their pride. I think back to my earlier days in college. In the church I was attending, the pastor who insisted on being called doctor. Until we did a little research. And his doctor wasn't even in theology, it was in law. And we should have known he figured a way to steal some money and move on down the street. 
Yeah, he got his reward in full. They're truly humble. They know their worth and they don't need to be told by others. Better to sit at the end of the table and be moved up than to sit at the right hand and be moved down. In verses 8 through 10, Jesus said to his disciples in the crowd, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. I don't have time to, to get into all this uh, this morning, but it, it's, it's not that you can't call your dad father. That's not what he's saying here. And some argue with this, the idea of calling a priest father. And I think there might be some worth to that, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about aspiring to these titles, aspiring to these positions, and wanting to be called. In other words, don't consider yourself greater than others. Don't consider others greater than they are in relation to God. You are all brothers. As a pastor, I've tried to maintain the office without being greater than others, and I understand there is some respect in this position, but one of the things I've said from the very beginning, and 15 years later, I will say this day, we are in this together. One is not better than the other. We may have roles, and we need to respect those positions for the roles that they they are and for those who hold those positions or whatever, but we're in this together. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. He is our Lord. This goes to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, this isn't about me. Jesus gets all the glory. He gets all the honor. That's why I prayed like I did earlier. As Dennis said, you know, thank you for putting us, putting up with us for 15 years. And as I said, no, this is really a testimony uh, to, to, to you for having me for 15 years. But then in my prayer, did you catch it? Ultimately, God, this is a testimony and a testament to you. He gets all the honor. The humble are self-denying. And let me get to the last point and what time we have. The humble are rewarded. And the irony in this is, is this. The humble don't care about being rewarded. The truly humbled by the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't care about being rewarded. But Jesus takes the time to let his disciples know that the humble are rewarded. In verse 12, he declares, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. How are the humble rewarded? Well, we see different uh, uh, inclinations or insinuations or indications of this in different passages of Scripture, like Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we weren't worth anything. We were worth being thrown into, into the trash heap in Gehenna. The Gehenna trash heap. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him 
in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward, toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you get the picture now? Not only are we not at the front of the table when we come into this world, we're not even at the end of the table. We don't even have a seat at the table. But because of Christ Jesus, we have been moved to the head of the table and seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. The humble, he says, he will exalt. The exalted ones will be humbled, but the humble ones will be exalted. And the, and the thing about this is, is that the more that we are honored, the more honor we receive, the more Jesus is honored because all that we are is due to Him. It's due to Him. It's because of Him. Don't practice your righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. When it comes to giving to the needy, Jesus goes on to say in verse 4 of Matthew 6, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When it comes to praying, in verse 6 of Matthew 6, it says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When it comes to fasting, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 18, Jesus said, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And here we are still wondering what people think about us. May God so humble us that we believe Him and take Him at His word. That our Father in heaven who sees will reward us. What can man possibly give us that would be anything better than what God can reward us with? And He may even reward us now. This doesn't necessarily mean, well, that's when we get to heaven. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The humble are rewarded. In Scripture, we are commanded many times to put on Christ. We are told in Philippians chapter 2 to let the mind of Christ be also in you. Here's the reality. This can only be done if you are truly born again. And this will be demonstrated by you seeing a decrease in your pride and an increase in your humility. Let me ask you, when you look in the mirror, Do you see someone who is humble? 
according to Scripture. I'll go back and finish with this, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Let's take some time to reflect on these things. we thank you for humbling yourself and taking on the role of a servant putting on the flesh of man and being obedient to the point of death even death on a cross God help us by your spirit to have the mind which was in Christ Jesus be also in us. May the love for the things of this world not be our love. But may love for you and your work and your will being done on earth be our passion. Holy Spirit, help us to put to death the deeds of the flesh, particularly dealing with this issue of pride.
continue doing your sanctifying work until you bring about glorification in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn in the beige hymnal is hymn number 450. I need thee every hour.